if you're that concerned with money, you're never going to be able to really free mm -hmm. creativity. But if you do a good job with your, the creative aspect of your life, the joy and the play, that in turn will pay you so much more. The return on your investment will be so much more because it will not only be the money that you need, but it will be the play and the love and you'll get to be paid. I mean, my whole goal in life is just to get paid to be James Victory. That can sound super ego or sound gross, but that just means I'm just allowed to be me. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. Welcome back to the most hated F word podcast. I am pleased and delighted you are here for another week. This week, we have James Victory. Before we get into this show, this conversation, I have a couple of things to talk about. Number one, if you want to come and hang out with the latest individuals researching, facilitating, and practicing how to deepen our relationships with money, how to understand our emotions that are attached to our money, I highly suggest you come to the Financial Therapy Association's annual conference taking place from October 5th to 8th in Denver, Colorado. You can head to their website, financialtherapyassociation.org to get your tickets. It will be enjoyable and I am looking forward to being there. Second, if you've been enjoying these shows, these conversations, I would be super happy if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The reviews let us know that you're liking the content, liking the guest, and it helps us secure great guests like James in the future. So who is James Victory? Well, he's a creative thought leader. He helps people find their purpose through cultivating their own inner creativity. He is known for his provocative style as a graphic designer, educator, and dynamic speaker. As well as founding his own design studio, James spent many years teaching at School of Visual Arts in New York City. He now lives, loves, and works in small town Texas, continuing to pursue new ways to help and inspire others free themselves creatively and live boldly through their own voice. That is exactly why I wanted to have James on the podcast today. At times, it feels like the greater narrative of our society can silence that inner voice as we feel we can't tap into or lean into that creativity because we need to go to work. We need to find that traditional job, save for retirement, and at 65, hopefully enjoy that retirement. James's perspective speaks to me because he encourages us to maybe not default to that default option of getting a job just so that we can retire someday. Instead, he challenges us to free ourselves creatively and live in our bold new way through listening to our inner voice. James's latest book, Feck Perfection, is a wonderful read that really helps us 
think and challenge our own way of being to see if we are snuffing out or silencing our wild creative creature that lies inside of us. During this conversation, we talk about how James started to cultivate and listen to that creative child inside of him. He shares with us his relationship with money and how he operates under the mantra of listening to that creative child, leaning into what that creative child has to say, and then focuses on playing and expressing his voice through his art. And then jobs, money, projects, consulting projects, they come his way. And the message here is if we can listen to that creative inside voice, if we can play, experience more joy, freedom, and love, perhaps we'll attract the money we so desperately seek in a more loving, joyful, and free way. Please check out James' book, Feck Perfection. Check out his website. He has some upcoming events happening real soon. The links are in the show notes for his website where you can find more information about James. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with James Victoria. James, I am really excited to have you on the show. Thank you. I, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me. We were kind of talking before we started recording. This podcast really, without realizing it, was me tapping into this, as you call it in the book, we all have this wildly creative child in us. And this podcast was, a, I guess, a start for my journey to tapping into that because for far too long, I hid behind spreadsheets and financial plans and I felt safe hiding behind those things, but my wild creative child needed to come out. So I, I want to ask you many questions on that. But first, I want to know, what does creativity do for our soul, for your soul? What does it give to us? It doesn't give us anything. <laughs> creativity doesn't really give us anything. It sounds like it's some gift from God that comes to you. You know, but what it really is, is it's, it's just an innate ability that we need to understand. It means that, like, like you, you made a reference to, you know, the first line in fact, perfection says we're all born wildly creative, you know. So we're born with the gifts of freedom and play and joy and love. That's all we want as children, right? We want to be free to to explore and to experiment and see, hey, what does this do? We want to play all the time. Like I've got two small children, and you know. When, when they get in trouble, it's just, you know, especially like at school when kids get in trouble, they just want to play. They just want to figure shit out. But we want to constantly give them rules and give them, you know, deadlines. So we want joy and we want play. We want freedom. And we just want to give love freely and to be loved, right? And what happens is all four of those things, as we go through the process of like, school and parents and society and, you know, up higher education and jobs, especially, we really lose those, right? So the whole thing about creativity is just like, and especially for adults, isn't learning a new thing. It's just accessing what we already have. It's allowing ourselves. That's a huge idea. Allowing ourselves that freedom. Because you said, I mean, even in the, you know, you said, you know, hiding behind spreadsheets, that's exactly it. 
hiding in comfort, hiding in groups, hiding in the rules. And to be creative means you're out there naked. <laughs> you're out there like, hey, I'm going to go do, you know, even if you were like had a, a job at a big Wall Street firm and you'd say, hey, you know what, guys, you know, I got these images in my head and I've always wanted to turn them into rugs. I'm going to head out and go do my own thing. You would get such resistance, right? And that resistance is their fear because other people are afraid of your freedom. Right. The other people, it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense to them. They're like, wait, wait, I want to do that. You can't do that. Nobody can do that. You know, and they're going to give you reasons. They're going to say, well, you're going to start a business in this economy. You know, they're going to give you all of their fears because they're hiding behind them. So creativity is just this innate ability that we have. And I think that anyone who loves what they do is an artist. Like you can be an artist and be a bus driver. You can be an artist and be a bus driver because you can change people's lives on a daily basis with a smile, with kind words, with a little, you know, being generous, employing that freedom and play and joy and love. So yeah, the, the word creativity is scary because like my dad died after I wrote the book, but my dad and my mom and my, my parents and my upbringing is pretty prominent in the book. And my father was extremely experimental. He was an experimental chef and a photographer. He did all these crazy things, but he was a military guy, right? Lifelong military. And after, when he, after he died, I was having a conversation with my mom and I said, hey, if you asked dad, if I asked dad, if he was creative, what would he say? And I knew the answer. And she'd go, she went, oh, he'd say, no, 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 no. Because creativity is a loaded word, right? I said, but if I asked him, Hey, dad, can you figure anything out? He'd go, oh, yeah, I can figure anything out, right? That's creativity. Just that's creativity. However you couch it, however you're comfortable with it, that's what creativity is. Just, just taking any situation and figuring it out. It's a long answer for your- I, It felt good. I appreciate that. I feel like it's just all soaking into me. Yeah, you know, you talk about this freedom, joy, love. These outcomes- that we desire to experience, but yet we distract ourselves. And it, and I, I, my head has to go this way because you mentioned the Wall Street and these guys, if you want to go create these rugs, would, again, project their own insecurities and fear on you, unknowing to themselves. What do you take then? You've talked to so many creative people about this idea of when delayed gratifications, for example, someone's like, oh, I got to work for a bit for a number of years before I step into this entrepreneurial or before I step into this yeah. role. What do you think we're telling that wildly creative child when we're like, you just got to hold on and wait for a bit? What does that have impact on that wildly creative individual? Sure, because that's perfection, right? That's perfection and procrastination. I'll be ready when I pay off my student loan. I'll be ready when... I get my car paid off. I'll be ready when I lose a few pounds, right? And all it is, is is putting off and telling yourself that you're not ready, that you're not worthy, that you're not qualified. I think the best way to learn, you know, I don't know about going and get an MBA. I think start a business and fucking learn it <laughs> and mm -hmm. sail, you know, mm -hmm. and then grow from there. It's a lot cheaper and probably a lot faster, mm -hmm. right? But we're afraid to do that because we think there are, there are rules out there that we need to, need to follow. Or, you know, the, the, especially what you're bringing up is like this idea of like, what, what do people call it? I used to have my students that when I was teaching at SVA used to do this all the time. They'd come to me and they say, you know, I took this really shitty job because, oh, you know. delayed gratification. Well, they, they, they said, I got to pay my dues. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait, huh? 
Why? Who told you that? Who told you that you have to pay your dues? Who told you that you have to be a slave and learn to be a slave first? Who told you that you can't go straight to the top? That's wrong. Why? Why do you have to pay your dues? You need to learn. You need to fail. Do you need to learn what a sucky boss is? That maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, the yeah, the delayed gratification is not gratification at all. <laughs> because you never get to it. I feel like it's succumbing to the fear and we just like rationalize and be like, oh, I'm delayed gratification. I can't take a step out and peek out what's on the other side because I'm being responsible. And I speak from experience here. It snuffs out that creativity. And as the little creative person comes up and like, oh, I got an idea. You're like, no, I've got to be responsibly financially. And here I am as a financial planner for years telling people they've got to be more financially responsible. My industry is responsible for the snuffing out of these wildly creative creatures. No, we, you know, we wake up every day, especially someone like you. And I mean, for me, it's, it's crazy, but you know, for you and for people who like have a song to sing in them, we wake up and we have these amazing thoughts, these amazing ideas. They're like, oh, I'm going to go do this thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, all of a sudden what comes in is all those pre-recorded voices telling you, I don't know how to do it. It's too hard. I don't have the skills. Who's going to like it? What's I going to pay? What are they going to pay? Yeah, exactly. Exactly what you said. They're going to get snuffed out by all these fears that you haven't even tempted. Fears that you haven't even addressed or practiced or invited, right? You're just like going on the fear itself, but it hasn't been, it hasn't been played out yet. And I use, always use the example of, use the example because I've had it in my, in my coaching with clients a number of times, somebody who comes to me and they've, they've had a career in the book, it's laying bricks, but you know, been bankers, for example. And they said, well, what I really wanted to do was I wanted to write poetry. And I was like, well, why, why don't you write poetry? And they'll tell me the story of like, and they literally said, like, it's from the book. When I was a kid, right? This is when a lot of the stuff gets snuffed out. You know, they wanted to write poetry and they, and they had an uncle who said, ah, there's no money in it. People don't make a living writing poetry. And I literally have had that a number of times. So then I go and I, I say to them, okay, did someone actually say that to you? He said, yeah, my, my father or my uncle or whatever. And I say, okay, are they still alive? They said, yes. I said, okay, go back and talk to them and say, hey, I got a question for you. How many poems have you written? How many times did you try to get published? How many times did you get turned down? None, none, none. Then where the fuck do you get the balls to tell me I can't make a living writing poetry? I, James Victoria, know three or four people who are making a living writing poetry. Don't tell me, don't tell anybody they can't do. You know, you can make a living doing pretty much anything. I know people that make the silliest doodles and they're wildly successful and in museums and published in books because they put the energy behind it, because they've freed themselves, because they access that creativity, because their excitement breeds excitement in other people. Right. So don't tell anybody they can't follow through on their dream. You know, we, we, we get so used to selling our dreams to pay our rent. It's so sad. I don't know if you are currently in Texas. If you are all the way from Texas, I can feel that energy coming through. And I appreciate that. And I can hear the authentic conviction in your voice. And it's so interesting. You give this example about this, this story saying you, you can't write poetry. 
as I've dove into understanding my stories and so forth, there's, there's so much interesting work out there on these things called money scripts, which are basically like, as a child, it's what we thought, or sorry, what we saw, heard, felt, people said to us as children, or as growing up about money, like you can't make money doing poetry or something like that. And often they're unconsciously in the back of our minds, influencing how we think oh, act, yeah. and feel. Oh, yeah. And until we like recognize them, they're kind of, they're really hard to, to change our behaviors when these stories that we're telling ourselves are on replay. Yeah, they, they form our ego. Mm, All mm -hmm. those voices, the, you know, the parents who told you, even the parents who were constantly walking around you going, hey, be careful. Oh, be careful. Be careful. Be careful. You know, they really shunt that experimental, that play, you know, or the teachers who, the, the stupid teacher who just like nonchalantly mentioned that you'll never be good at math. Right. And now, now you're ruined basically for the rest of your life because someone just put that little turd in your head, right? Th that forms our subconscious and our ego. And those are the pre-recorded voices that when we wake up, say, there's no money in it. How are we going to do this? I don't have the skills, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, even Carl Jung said that, you know, unless we make our subconscious conscious, you know, unless we, unless we see it and see those fears and go, oh, hey there, what do you want? You know, unless we are curious about those voices that tell us no, 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 no. They will rule our lives and we will call it fate, right? We rationalize. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Then it just creeps into our vocabulary and these self-affirming thoughts of saying things like, as little nothing like this. Oh, no, I'm not good at parties. Mm -hmm. Wait, bro, who's at <laughs> parties? That's the craziest thing to start telling yourself. But we tell ourselves these things because it's the same thing. I'm not good at parties. Oh, I don't know how to deal with money. Mm -hmm. no, just never learned. And you're now not curious about it. That curiosity. Wow. It, it, such a powerful thing to cultivate. Oh, yeah. In the book, so many wonderful examples. And I, I highly encourage everyone to get the book. So I, I don't want to spend the whole time re, rehashing the book because people read it. However... Something struck me, and it, uh, this conversation's making me think about it. So as children, we get, we're such curious kids where we lean into things to listen, but sometimes people are telling us information we don't like. I understand you were a shy kid growing up, or you were told you were shy. Ah, there, yeah, told I was shy. Authority told me I was shy. Just like authority says you can't make money in making uh, poetry, right. writing poetry. Um, yeah, I was told I was shy, so I became shy. And I still fight it today. It spoke to me because I was also told I was shy. My parents are fantastic. I have the most respect in the world for them. But I was told I was shy because I was quiet. And it wasn't until recently that I recognized the impacts of Mr. Shy, I call him. I went back and visited him and drew him. And it wasn't until recently I, I realized the residual impacts of Mr. Shy. Because at some point I decided I wasn't shy when I was an adult and I started doing presentations. But I was just ignoring him and he was still creeping in and I would hide this kind of why I became a financial planner. I thought I was doing it because I was saving the world and making people financial literate. But it was basically Mr. Shy loved the ego of talking about money and making people think that I was so smart around money. It's kind of <laughs> sad, but that's the truth. <laughs> I still, so you kind of answered my question. I, I'm wondering your experience as being told you're shy, embodying that, and then how you learn to dance with it free, whoever your shy character is, so that you can release this inner creative individual. Because my experience is Mr. Shy is good at snuffing out my creative creature. Oh, gosh, yeah. And shy is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Shy is not bad. 
I am still shy. What it comes off now most times is, is humble, but also being too humble is not really a good thing either, right? It's like, it's hard for me to, to toot my own horn, right? I wish I were better at that. But at one point, when I started doing work that kind of, well, I always kind of have done work that veered off the normal and I realized that people liked it. And at one point I just realized, oh yeah, being shy is not really going to help me much. (laughs) (laughs) Being shy is not going to help me. Like I have to talk about my work. I have to show my work. I have to present my work. I have to make daring, loud, audacious work. And just making it is, is one part, you know, allowing myself the freedom to make that stuff, but then to present it as professional and present it as commercial, you know, that's a whole nother level. But yeah, I kind of just decided that that's not going to work for me. And listen, hey, I fight this, you know, mm-hmm. every day, literally every day. Excuse me if I'm going too much on this. I'm just curious because I've talked to other people and like the residuals for me and others I felt with is like this desire to be seen, f- seen, valued and heard, which is, I mean, common for many people, but as a shy one, like at least mine was like, no one sees me. I don't, my voice doesn't matter. At any point, did you find like through your work, you were overcompensating? And, and I asked this because sometimes I, I noticed myself doing this. I was overcompensating to get myself heard or seen, but it wasn't like in an authentic way. Yeah, I think in the beginning, there's probably a, not a wrestling match, but there's a a process of figuring out how to not put on a persona. And if putting on a persona, a character helps, that's fine. I know people who literally have an outfit they wear when they are that thing, or they become this other person, you know, they call themselves Mr. Sweatpants or something, you know what I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, hell, as long as it's not to the psychotic degree, as long as it helps, that's fine. I've realized that there is a James Victory out there that other people see, and he's like eight foot tall and, you know, gladiator or something. And I realized that I'm not that guy, but I need to come up to a certain point. Mm. You know, it's like anything else. It's just practice. It's just mm-hmm. practice, mm-hmm. learning where where you are and learning that when you step out of that shyness and you are yourself, that nobody cares. Mm-hmm. People will enjoy seeing you do what you want. People are waiting to hear from you. You know, I tell people who are just starting off in little businesses, like, you have an audience. They just don't know it yet. So be cool. They're mm-hmm. waiting, right? And it might be 10 people, it might be three people, but then it's going to be more and more. And we that's the practice. So don't think you're just going to, why isn't it viral? Like, just chill. Just keep going. I almost feel like like Mr. Redundant because when people write me, people contact me a lot, I respond very often with, you know, hey, keep going. That's what, that's what I tell everybody. Just keep, keep going. Keep practicing. You said to be seen and heard. That is the primal instinct. That, that play, joy, mm-hmm. love, right? That's it. I have a five-year-old and a, and a seven-year-old. I am in uh, a very interesting place right now because I have to do what I say. Like, I have to do what I teach. You know, in, in fact, perfection, I have to not squash their creativity. And as a parent, it's very difficult because their creativity presents itself again and 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 again all day. And I've got two of them. Yeah. Like I'm, I've been primarily a single dad for a while. And it's like, I got two of them and this is how it presents itself. And it's really beautiful and I have to see it and I have to be careful how I address it. And it goes like this. 
my boy and my daughter will be constantly going like this. Hey, dad, look at me. Look what I can do, right? That's, they just want to be seen and heard and loved. And I have to learn how to feed that and not shut it down. And I also have to get them to understand that when they bring it out into the world, that's going to be met differently, right? Because you can't just be constantly, hey, look at me, 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 because that becomes almost antisocial. So you, have to, you have to understand when you can do that. Oh, I have a, a three, three and a six-year-old, and you're, you catch yourself now being like, Lewis, okay, 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 but no, he just wants to be seen. That's all it is. You can't go, hey, I can't, I'm doing the dishes. Yeah. Right? Like, what, what, what's more important, right? But I can say, hey, well, hang on. Let me finish what I'm doing. Like we can start, we can start that so they can know that monster doesn't have to be fed all the time immediately, right? We can start teaching them that. Some parenting lesson there for you. You can send me five bucks. Yeah, okay, we'll do. It might be converted into a dollar because our currency is so low here in Canada for you guys. But uh, <laughs> all of this ties back to the intent of my conversations is that money, I mean, me and in one of our songs, we recently put money is not the boat of life. It's just the wind and the sails. And what we mean by that is these conversations can happen when we see that money is just the wind in our sails. It's helping us get where we want. But when we can separate ourselves, and that's what I kind of feel financial freedom to some degree is, is that I can actually take notice to my child when he wants to do dishes and I'm not preoccupied with, I got to get to the emails. So I just appreciate this conversation from that point of view. I want to ask about a specific the, around the voice and wanting to be perhaps seen and heard because that's an instinct for all of us and it's it's oh, positive when you recognize it. I want to go back to a piece of your work in 1990, the Columbus Day poster. Because we talk about living on the edges. Like it, what made me think about this is a child, if he's saying, look at me, look at me and goes out there, sometimes people aren't going to look at me. What made me think about this is this poster wasn't your corporate modern or corporate run of the mill, like Eagle soaring saying leadership or something like this. It had some edge to it. <laughs> can you take us back to 1990 if possible? We can look at this poster and understand what it means, but maybe take us back to what was happening in James's mind, where this creative inspiration came from. I mean, without going into like a huge long story, I'd actually have to take you back to um, when I was 10, when yeah. I first started seeing posters actually, because my mother worked in the reference department of a, of a university library. But, you know, I first started seeing posters then. So I was like really hooked. I really was like a, kind of got to get addicted to posters and to art. And then, you know, when I was 19 and moved to New York, New York City to become, I literally moved to New York City to become a poster designer. And then I got there and there weren't, I realized there weren't jobs. There weren't jobs, poster making jobs. So I started doing book jackets, which I thought was as close as I could get. And I was doing book jackets for a bunch of years and I was getting successful, like making, making coin. I was like wearing suit, wearing a silk suit. So I bought my first motorcycle with cash and, you know, trying to be Mr. Fancy Pants. But then I woke up one day and I said, oh, I'm not making posters. I'm not making posters. And it happened to be around at the time when I read from like, I think in the New York Times about like all the celebrations and the parade and the parties and things that were planned for Columbus Day. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Why don't I have any Native American friends? Why aren't there any Native besides like names of towns in upstate New York, right? Where are they? So I quickly put this thing together that was like, I just wanted to be, and not even to be a graphic designer, but to be more of a 
have the photojournalist. Mm, it looks like, yeah. Of it, right? To bring in, to research the, the Hunk Papa Sioux Indian photograph. I went to DC to buy the, the, the print and the rights and tried to do everything, you know, correctly. And then just put this thing together and spent my own money. It wasn't, it, you know, you said it wasn't a corporate gig. It wasn't a J-O-B. I heard you spent your rent money. Yeah. 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 Not a good business move, but you know, I just got this thing up because it had to be said to me, it, you know, I had to, I had to report the other side of the story. I kind of really started my career as uh, at least giving myself that freedom that part of my career. So I could choose to like make things up and get paid to do that, which is what I do now. I just make up events. I make up a book. I make up a, you know, prints. Just go, hey, that'd be funny. What do you think? It's fantastic. You know, you said maybe it wasn't the best business decision for the rent, but you know, look how it snowballed. So I think what I hear from there, it's just, it's listening. And I guess what I uh, was drawn to this one is 1990. That's at the start of your career. You're, you're listening to that voice and really going for it. You didn't play safe or hide behind whatever version of spreadsheets you may have had that at that yeah. time. Well, and here's the other thing, Sean, is that you know, the rent money thing. So I did get people coming to the door, dunk, 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 you know, with the papers you are served with, you know, eviction. I, I paid them. It was done. Yeah. I, live, I live there for another year. Life goes on. Guess what? Yeah, it's good. Nobody cares. No. Guess what? Nobody cares. <laughs> Giving yourself permission to be yourself, I think is so important. Why I'm attracted to that is often we see the money side dilutes that or distracts us. But so this is where I'm going with this playing off your last answer. But you talked about moving to, to New York. I thought it was fascinating. I believe it's Gary Danko who had told you to go to New York. Yeah. And wow. Wow. You did your research. <laughs> but what, what I thought was fascinating is that you're this young, I, I can't remember, maybe 19 or six, I don't know. You're young. And I believe you got fired a few times from this guy. And what I know about what I've seen young people is we're, we got the world figured out. We know. And I can't wrap my head around why a guy who has fired you twice gives you advice to go move to New York and you go and do it. What, what was... <laughs> what, did you feel something that Gary saw in you? <laughs> Interesting. That's, that's, this is fantastic. Thank you for this. Yeah. So he was the chef at a restaurant that I worked at. He is now the owner of a restaurant in San Francisco, one of the restaurants you can't get into in San Francisco called Gary Danko's. So Gary was a sh the, the chef and basically partnered with the owner of this, this restaurant that I, I immediately, when I got out of high school, I just started working there, busing tables and then waiting tables. It was in my hometown and I, I didn't need to be in my hometown. That was part of the problem. I needed to go. And I, needed, and I was upstate New York. I just needed to get on the train and go to downstate. <laughs> go down. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it on my own. I needed to be thrown out of the nest, right? That's a big jump. So I needed to be thrown out of the nest. And the reason I listened to Gary and the reason he loved me enough to not only fire me twice, but send me on my path was that he was an artist. He wasn't a businessman. He wasn't the owner. The owner of the restaurant wouldn't have said, hey, you know, he would have said, you're fired. Get the fuck out of here. Go, you know, work at McDonald's. But Gary loved me enough and saw the artist in me and said, you don't belong here. That's why you're screwing up. You got to go. And that's the thing is like, we don't often realize that when we're screwing up and, and not that not when you were 19 or seven, 18, whatever I was, when we're in our 30s and 40s, when we're screwing up, 
That means we're just not challenged. We're not employing our curiosity. It means we feel like we can't allow that creativity out, right? It's frustration. We have started to believe that those rules apply to us Mm -hmm. because we look around and we don't have any peers who are taking chances. We have peers who are doing the same thing every weekend, taking their kids to ball games and you know, barbecuing on the grill every freaking weekend, you know, instead of, instead of working on their, their side gig or trying to, you know, build a new business or whatever, you know? So it's difficult as an adult to throw ourselves out of the nest or even to see that the mess we're making, the, either the mess we're making for ourselves or how we're making our lives just get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller every year. Especially when you have kids, it feels like that. It's Mm -hmm. easy to do and catch ourselves and go, wait, 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 this isn't what I wanted. Wait, wait, I did want, and I still can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in situations and heard from, heard from friends who have had lunches with peers who are like, oh man, I always wanted to be a jewelry designer. Oh, I could have been a, a painter. You know, oh, when I was a kid, I used to do this stuff and it was so great. And it was so, you know, and they like really get emotional about it. And there's zero reason why they can't just get up from lunch and go and do that thing right away. Zero reason. Oh, you know, this, this idea of the building this nest is it, it speaks to exactly this, this idea behind these conversations in this podcast is that often that nest was created from this financial security and it just, it's just unsafe safety net really when it's distracting us. It is. From- it's not even financial security. It's, it's poverty thinking. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's our fear of poverty. I find life is so interesting sometimes how it comes full circle. So you're 19-ish. Gary Danko sees something in you, sees the creative side in you, despite firing you, tells you to go to New York and you go fast forward X amount, or yeah, fast forward X amount of many years later. You're doing Gary Danko's work to so many other people through your book, through your work. And I, I speak from experience. I read this book. I'm like, whoa, yeah, this is what I needed. So this idea of giving people permission to be themselves, I think really allows them to see yeah. that and be themselves. So yeah. I, yeah, the work you're doing is so, so great. I am a Moses for the creative soul, <laughs> right? Hashtag set my people free. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to your, your parents. Your dad's in the military. He's doing these business ventures, uh, even owning a ski shop which he sounds like a fascinating individual. Your mother is, from what we learned from the book, driving around the country, moving three kids around all by herself. And I also found it interesting when you've, I've heard you talk about her after school, when you'd go sit with her in the library. And that's kind of like you alluded to where your creativity started. But when you look back at how your parents operated, what they represented it, what at that time, if you can recall at all, did you, what meaning would you attach to money growing up? Because again, we, we, we absorb everything as kids. Yeah. And even if they don't tell us something, we're, our, our immature minds are making something yeah. up. And so what, what was the meaning of money as a child and how has it evolved to where you are today? You know, when I was a kid, money was a taboo subject. It wasn't something you talked about. There was never enough. So I didn't have good good relationship with it because of that. You know, my parents kind of often kind of looked around and said, where's mine? But I, even as a kid, would look around and go, but what, have you, what are you doing? What are you doing to make that happen? You know, if we have a, a thought or a dream, we do kind of have to put some energy behind it. I, I learned that about, about money and I learned the, pov- the power of that poverty thinking and how that kind of 
self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's really strong and it's really difficult to break out of. Mm-hmm. And, and now, so your years go by, what would you say is an optimal relationship with money or what do you feel is contentment around money for James? There's a couple things. One is Joseph Campbell, the philosopher and, and anthropologist, and uh, he wrote the Hero of a Thousand, Hero with a Thousand mm-hmm. Faces and super smart guy. But he, he says money is congealed energy, right? Money makes things happen. Money is, is opportunity. I like that idea. But I also, I also try to teach that because I'm trying to get people to harness their creative spirit, right? And make money that way and try to get people to understand that. And this is the Moses thing is that if you're that concerned with money, then you should not, you should probably not take the creative route and just go and get a job at a bank because that's where they keep the money, right? Because if you're that concerned with money, you're never going to be able to really free Mm -hmm. creativity. But if you do a good job with your, the creative aspect of your life, the joy and the play, that in turn will pay you so much more. The return on your investment will be so much more because it will not only be the money that you need, but it will be the play and the love and you'll get to be paid. I mean, my whole goal in life is just to get paid to be James Victory. That can sound super ego or sound gross, but that just means I'm just allowed to be me. I hear that sounding very true and real versus I want to just be able to help people have a financial security for the rest of their life, blah, blah, blah. Like this, this fake mirage that we create as opposed to what other life would I want than to be Sean Maslick, you know, yeah. to play and be myself. Yeah. It's a gift. Yeah, it's a gift. In the end, it's, it's really freeing your creativity and allowing your creativity to do its job, which is, you know, it lives inside you, you know, make it pay rent. That's awesome. A quotable motherfucker. Quotable. You are a quotable one. So on this idea of playing and being creative, I do not think if someone had a goal of being in the Museum of Modern Art in New York as a 19-year-old, they would actually, I'm making assumptions, but they probably wouldn't have got in there as opposed to playing, being creative, and then having the Modern Museum contact you. Well, here, you know, the thing is, the thing is, if you really kind of start following the stuff that I teach, it's a lot more practical than, than mysterious. People are like, how did you get into the Museum of Modern Art? And I, you know, I got into the museum, which was great, but I've also had two shows there, which is kind of crazy, right? And the way I got into the Museum of Modern Art is, you know, I teach it like this. I said, you know how you get in? You know how you get on stage at TED? You know how you get into the Museum of Modern Art? You ask. <laughs> yeah, you got to have some chops. Yeah, you yeah. got some work, but you ask. I guess that's the uh, from the book Cousin Tony level of confidence to ask, hey? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And you don't ask once, you just keep going and you get used to that. Everybody experiences getting shot down. What's, what's, her, what's her name? Um, J.K. Rowling, you yeah. know, with Potter. The first publisher didn't say, oh my God, this is awesome. This is great. She was asked in an interview, like going through that process of writing and she was a single mom with ostensibly no job. And she was asked in an interview when the first Harry Potter came out and was a big success. Finally, they said, hey, Miss, 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 you know, Miss Rowling, you didn't get published and you lived as a single mom with a child. You know, how did that work? And she said, oh, we lived in squalor for four years. So to me, that says, how much do you want it? 
How much do you want it? What's it worth to you? What are you going to do? Are you going to you know, quit your job? Great. Make a schedule. Be organized. Put in the time. Ask everybody. Talk to everybody. You know, let your excitement excite others. You know, this is the work. This is the work. There's no magic to it. It's just follow that that schedule, that routine. Become that person. Wake up every day and go, hey, I have an idea. And then follow through with it. It's, it's, there's no mystery. There's no like, you are selected by God, <laughs> artist. Well, you choose yourself. You choose. Yeah. And you talk about that work. And I think that's where the messiness involved with the work often isn't on display for others to, to recognize. And if we, you know, I'm hearing you, if we lack this confidence that we might, the confidence that I can do the work might just be like, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. When we feel that resistance, as Stephen Pressfield calls it, we just give in. The creative beast is over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in the process of trying to, you know, trying to fill seats and uh, teaching a class. The, the class I taught at the School of Visual Arts and then my, my camp. And, you know, you don't want to see, I mean, the creative process there. It's like sausage making, right? You don't want to see what goes into it. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is, it's, the, it's the unsexy bits, but it's the stuff that I've got to do if I want to be able to play. Yeah. So, so on that, the play, what kind of play happens at the camp in Texas? November 3rd, it's coming up, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's an interesting process because for me, it's really taking people back. It's really breaking people down to that when I was a child and getting them to understand the power within that. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of very cool processes I put them through. I ask them for some private information up front. I take them through a fire ceremony, a middle, middle name ceremony where I change their name. There's all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff we do, but it's all in order just to reveal themselves to themselves. And like I had, an, an, I had a, a design instructor or a university, he was the chair of a, uh, a creative department for a university. And he came to me to, to the came he's come twice actually but the first one he came to and he said he said James I, I came and I thought I was going to learn how to become more creative but I've realized that in order for me to become more creative and a better teacher I have to first become a, a better person like he has to first understand what he what he's capable of and what his powers are and, and how he can actually have anything he wants. He just has to ask for it. Because he writes, he still, he still writes me regularly. And he's like, guess what I just did? He says, I just asked the department or the school if I could get like 10 kids and take them to the Biennale in, in Venice. And guess what? They said yes. And I'm like, well, duh. Hmm. He would have never done that before. And people have often changed their careers and made more money and yeah, just just massive, massive changes in their lives because they go through and go through this experience. Going back to the book, which articulates a lot of this theme and sentiment, effect perfection, is that you're, it seems like you're slowing down a bit to take people out of this robotic, monotonous life that socially we have constructed to follow the rat race. Yeah. And letting them peek inside themselves and be like, holy smokes, this is inside of me. Yeah. And I just really appreciate your your creative approach to that, but your full embodiment of that joy, freedom, and love, because it comes through and we need more of that instead of this, I don't know, it, and I see a lot of people like who are just so discontented with their money or their lives because they're so obsessed about this poverty thinking of money. I, I want to acknowledge some people are in poverty and I don't mean 
physical poverty. I just mean this poverty scarcity mindset. Scarcity. It's just about being aware. I get in touch with anybody who comes to camp about a month and a half. I get back in touch with them and I say, okay, this is the time when you start kind of falling back into the old way. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing and what have you implemented and what are the new habits and how are we going to maintain this energy? Because life starts, you know, you get back and there's like kids and there's dogs, like all these demands on you, you know? So I'm going to ask one last question. I ask everybody, then I want you to, I mean, people know where to find books, but talk about the camp, talk about your website, tell my audience where they can find more of you. But my last question, you've kind of touched on it, but let's say that you're sitting on a front porch somewhere that brings you peace. It could be in Texas, could be in Canada, could be anywhere that you have peace. You're at the end of life, whatever the age that is. And you decide to, I I heard you say this, bring out your camping coffee maker that you use to write your books. You're having a coffee and you're writing a letter to your children's children on what you learned to have a happy and healthy relationship with money. What would a theme to that letter be? I think the overall theme would be to relax, is to just to to relax and know that if you pay attention and and pay attention to yourself and listen to your gut, that the things you want will will find you, but you need to you need to relax. I think that would be that would be the overall message. Stillness is something that I'm practicing. So thank you for that. Oh, it's we you know, we all we all need uh, you know, massive amounts of practicing stillness or calm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, James. Yeah, please tell the audience where they can find information about you, what you're up to, camp, dates, et cetera. The best places to find me is, you know, first of all, the website, jamesvictory.com. It's just my name.com. There's lots of things. There are a lot of things going on there right now. We've got this course, the, 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 the course that I taught at SVA. We're doing it. We're bringing it back one time live, super small audience here in my hometown of uh, Georgetown, Texas. And then in November comes uh, camp. Yeah, Camp Victory. And that's on the website. That's uh, early November. Those are the big things. There's also a new, there's some product coming in. There's always something coming out. There's product coming out. You know, Effect Perfection is still mm. is still hot and still available. And yeah. Awesome. Well, we will link to all those. And thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Just a wind in the sea.